Welcome to Much More Muchier with Pup Duffy and Kara Lane, an Odd Imagination production. All right. Hey, guys. Today, you're on the road with me, uh, and I am talking to Kenneth Luke, who Hello. is the writer and the director and the everything that brought in Artists in Agony uh, into place, which is a dark humor, satirical documentary or mockumentary um, and it's it's very much got like Quentin Tarantino vibe the office and it's it's just got a lot of different things in it like inspirational pulls from all of the places it's a melange um, yeah it is it is and that's what I like about it it's um it's like a Jackson Pollock painting with all of the different genres fascinating I like it yeah um so thank you for coming and speaking with us today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Good to be here. Yeah. Um, so I know we'll, we'll hop into artists uh, in agony in a second, but there oh. is something that I would like to talk to you about. Talk um, to me. A, couple days, a few days ago, you just commented on my Instagram post about the whole writer downward spiral of self-hate and loathing. Mm-hmm. Um, how did okay so i don't know for the audience who doesn't know and aren't writers or creatives in this space kind of thing um with writing you go through many 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 different kinds of drafts and editings and you get sick of your story and then you read it so much that you're like this is terrible i'm garbage what Mm -hmm. am i doing with my life yes why why did i do this yes a while back I had I had found my spiraling hole Mm -hmm. Um, so and you had mentioned that you completely understand you've been there yes I'm still there in some in some ways with some projects I'm still there yeah it's not a fun place is it no you hate it it's it's terrible it's terrible how do you break yourself out of that like what are coping techniques uh I uh I cheat so what I do is when, let's say, a project is giving me uh, problems or it's not in the shape the way I would like it to be, uh, when it's misbehaving, so to speak, and I start hating myself, why did I do this? Yeah, the same, the same, same exactly what you said. Uh, why did I do this? I hate this now. I'm a fraud, I, uh, you know, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> I, oh, okay. I, well, how I get myself out of it is if, Barring all my tricks, uh, as far as regarding that particular project, then what I do is I cheat. What I do is then I then turn my attention to another project. And what happens is, so it's, it's, I think it's important as writers to write, to just keep it, keep it flowing. And so when the energy is kind of stymied or stifled in some way, shape or form, for whatever reason, uh, just turn your attention to something else creative. Like, I'm a big believer in low-hanging fruit, meaning like, well, if it's coming easy, just like the inspiration for the writing project itself, it it just kind of sparks, right? And so you can get going. If you having problems, then don't fight it. Go somewhere else, write something else, or like anything else, anything creative or flowing, uh, whether it be cooking or drawing or just just anything to not feel like uh, you're terrible. So to remind yourself that you are a creative person, that the spark wasn't from a vacuum. It did come from somewhere. And what happens is, at least for me, I speak for myself, um, invariably, 
the idea gets mad that I turn my attention somewhere else and then start, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, okay, here, here's here's act two. Or, okay, okay, here's whatever was hanging me up. Oh, here's the character thing. You here's Oh, here's a piece of dialogue or whatever. Like whatever that was hanging me up uh, gets dislodged and then I can come back. Uh, actually, that actually happened to me fairly recently with a, a horror script that I was working on. And I just, I complained to my wife. I was like, oh, I hate this. Why did I do this, et cetera. Like, so when I read that, uh, in your post, I, I it's completely relatable. And honestly, I think it's normal because if you're just busting it out without any, I think that's a myth. The idea that, oh, you can just lock yourself in a room and just rip it out in two days or one day or whatever the story is. Uh, one, that's not true. Two, I would argue that maybe you were writing it in your subconscious for a while. Uh, but I just, I don't believe in that. I believe in that whole uh, Hemingway, uh, don't get it right, get it written thing oh my gosh uh, i was about to mention hemingway literally just now i was like like hemingway <laughs> yeah 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 oh you you as a writer you you grasp for straws when you're drowning uh i don't know if that's the right metaphor but like you just so i like to collect little nuggets of oh yeah like people your heroes you know you go oh uh look at coppola look at hemingway look at kurosawa look at uh Greta Gerwig, look at, you know, just anyone I can kind of, oh, a little nugget here, a little nugget there. Cause yeah, it, it's lonely. Being writing is lonely. So it's like when you're when you're in the the rut uh and you hate your 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 creation, <laughs> it's not a fun place. But uh like I yeah, I so my my advice is um Take a break, like uh, write something else or go some or do or create something else where you feel a little bit uh, more. Take a break, take a break, give yourself a break. Uh, and then I invariably end up kind of my subconscious works on it while like it gets jealous. Like so I, I if I'm working on, oh, OK, my horror movie is giving me trouble. So let me start working on my uh, science fiction comedy. And then as soon as I print out the script and I'm about to read it, the horror idea starts saying, oh, hey, I got. Oh, by the way. I have that uh, the climax that uh, fixes everything and coalesces all the things you want, et cetera. So uh, it's funny. It's just funny. It's this weird relationship you have with your um, self-conscious somehow. Yeah, and it's really funny too. Do characters speak to you? Like, I swear that I, when I say this, people look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, no, okay, I've got all of these characters in my book. Eli has just stopped talking to me. Great, fantastic. <laughs> And he won't stop. He won't talk to me for like, you know, another two weeks later. And I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, you know, I guess I'm stuck right now. I'll have to move to something else until this guy decides he's going to start talking again. Do no, you have that happen? Uh, like, I, you mean like in the dialogue phase? Is that what yeah. you mean? Mm -hmm. So like you're, you're in the dialogue phase and then the character is just not talking. I just let yeah. him be quiet then. Because sometimes th then like, a, like, I, like a, the trick I play with myself is that I, the game is then, okay, if he has nothing to say, then I don't let him, I don't give him a voice until he feels like talking. So then it's like, oh, because that's in, like in reality, what do you think, Eli? And Eli is just, I'm like mad at you and or what, I don't know what your deal is. So, okay. So then Eli says nothing. Eli sits in silence or whatever. And then if he goes, oh, no, wait, I do have something to say. Okay, then what is it? What do you, you have to say something about this? The scene, then say something mm -hmm. in the scene. Um, yeah. Because I'm not afraid to let the characters be quiet. Because sometimes right. that's a, that's a that's a move too. So and so uh -huh. says nothing, or so and so says it with a look, 
So um, right. I don't for I don't like forcing it. I like to let it flow. And I think the craft is then kind of surfing what you get, not not forcing like I don't control the waves, so to speak. I can only surf what I get. And the key is to keep showing up with the board, regardless of what you get. You know what I'm saying? Like, because if you show up, it's kind of like it might be there. It might not be there. But the 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 craft is showing up, so to speak. You, you got to show up. So right. And I think that it sounds like you're an intuitive writer. Are you are you kind of like a a pantsing intuitive a pant a pantsing intuitive writer where it's like you've got the main like beats, but how you get there is unknown, and so you just write you just let it come to you. It all depends. It I guess every. I treat every idea as different. And when I say low-hanging fruit, here's what I mean. I mean, if I get, uh, for me, I, an idea has to hit me irresistible. Like, I can't, I can't not write this. Like, it'll hurt me to not write this. Or it'll make me mad if I just let this pass by and don't grab onto this because it hits a bucket list wish of mine. Like, oh, I've always wanted to X, Y, Z. I've always wanted to see X, Y, Z. So whether that be, oh, I've always wanted to see a zombie that's also like a father figure of some kind, or I've always wanted to see the the big bad wolf put on trial for what he did to Red Riding Hood. There's always some, there's always some piece of the idea that I that hooks into me that I can't not finish it. So I keep I revisit that and I just let it germinate from there. And then whatever details I get, whether it be a character name, a piece of dialogue, sometimes I can write a whole thing just like, oh, uh, I've always wanted to see, a, a, you know, Sasquatch say, no one gets me. And so, oh, why did he say that? And you just build the whole story from there. And if you get beats of act three, write them down. Like, I, I don't, when the muse is giving you, like just giving it to you, I'm a, I just I just write it. So whether that's dialogue or whether that's plot points or a climax or the beginning. So when I call it the gathering phase, whenever I don't organize it yet, I just let let the muse ramble <laughs> and go, oh, uh, is there a villain? I ask, you know, is there a villain? No villain. Or yes, there's a villain or the self is the villain or, you know, and uh, another thing I like to ask myself is what's the game? You know, there's there's always a. And I don't, I don't mean a literal game, but kind of like, well, what's the, like, what's the fun of this particular show? What's the game? Like, for instance, like, say you mentioned Tarantino, like, I think a wonderful game is uh, Reservoir Dogs. Like, oh, what happens when five criminals who just did something have to, you know, reconvene and they all like are pointing fingers at each other? Like, okay, that's a very hooky, irresistible, you know, and, and, each, and each person can have a different kind of point of view um or personality so that's very um uh um enticing and it helps to know your history too because in a sense that's very shakespearean you know that's very mm -hmm. so it, it helps to know do your homework and have heroes read other you know if you're gonna write then you need to read writing so it's kind of like if you're gonna make cupcakes then you gotta have to eat a lot of cupcakes to know how to make right. cupcakes so you can find your own voice your own version of cupcakes so yeah, and I'm so glad that you said that because, um, and it's really funny because my husband, I love him. He's so supportive of me. Um, he, he he lifts me up, and if I'm like, hey, 
I need to drive three hours away for this inky dinky like little event so I can have a table and and not sell any books but just to get my name out there he's like okay when where how you know how do we need to get you there let's do it so he's really supportive but it's so funny trying to talk to him about writing in particular Mm -hmm. because the process is very chaotic Mm -hmm. and he's a data scientist and so Mm -hmm the logic he needs logic and structures and I'm trying to explain things and I'm like I don't think I'm sounding as well as I think I need to sound to be able to explain this to you logically because Mm -hmm. it's so hard um so I'm glad that you brought all of that up because it's you're you're right like the biggest rule you can do is like to get better at writing you need to write Mm -hmm. and you need to read that's work those are the things yeah yeah it's work and that's that's work yeah well and it's like there's a difference between reading for pleasure versus reading for research because yeah. you're taking note on how are they using dialogue tags right how are they you know showing rather than telling and in well, all of these yeah and then also i watch movies too that i'm not necessarily in the mood to watch but it's like well i gotta watch because i want to be part of the zeitgeist and and know what's happening so it's like because it's art that's the other thing too that people forget that it's Yes, there's conventions and yes, there are rules, but there's also, I can cite you pieces that break the rules and do it well. So it's, when you think of it that way, then yeah, to me, then it's it's about the game, you know, in a sense, the game like, oh, like Chris Nolan, when he does say a memento, that's a game. Like, oh, what if we did a thing this way, but it's also going that way, so to speak. So just, there, there's, Every piece has a gag. Every piece has a kind of own, and you, because you want to do something new. You want to do something fresh, and and it's you. Know, you want to do it's a masterpiece of its own ness, so to speak. So that's the only way you can be kind of undeniable. It's like, well, you cannot like it, but you can't deny that it took a concept and went there and took that concept as much as you could play with as possible. So you know, right. uh, it's important to know what you're not doing, so to speak. Right. And in that, mm-hmm. Artists in Agony yeah. does just that. It does just that. It, it's it got all of these original elements. It's got all of these. It, it shouts out to some great things like stylistic choices and stuff like that. So you do notice it, but it's that's not all it is, you know, and um, that's what I loved about this is. And, and I also have to ask, because as I was researching this thing, I saw that it took 11 years. It was like an 11 year labor of love to do this project. Needs love. First... <laughs> Needs love yeah. for me that long. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a true labor of love, but not just mm-hmm. for you. Every single one of those cast members yeah. and crew members that helped with it all. It was a labor of love. Everybody showed up. Everybody, you know, answered mm-hmm. the call, mm-hmm. came in, gave their best every single time. Yes. For 11 years. Mm-hmm. And that is beautiful in so uh-huh. many different ways. I, I don't know. Yeah. Romantic. It's like, it's the most beautiful, you know, director, project, writer, producer, romance story out there is the passion. Oh, that's very nice to hear. Thank you. I have to know, 
how I mean, I've got a bunch of questions about this because as yeah, a writer, I, I, I've been waiting 11 years to, to actually answer these questions. So that's why I was like, oh, what up? It, this, this is great. It's huge. I've been waiting. Okay. So this being an 11 year labor of love project, mm -hmm. knowing as a writer who, you know, puts their manuscript down, walks away for a little bit and then has to come back to it. How did you keep up with all of the various storylines, the small continuity, you know, continuity kind of things? Like, mm -hmm. how? How did you do that? Because that's miraculous to me to sit there and be able to be like, okay, this happened in this scene three years ago. So now mm -hmm. I need to do this in this scene. <laughs> how did you manage? Okay. Uh, short answer is, writing as I'm editing, if that makes any sense. So what I did was I threw, I, I set the bar kind of high because I knew the actors could handle it. And what I did was I just set up scenarios um, and I would have an end, like I would have an idea of how the scene would end. So it's not like I threw them out there and then they had nothing. I would, I would there was a story to catch them. However, I was open to turns and shifts and things to zig or zag. Because uh, I knew that the, I did have a superstructure in my mind, so to speak. So for instance, I, I started it as an experiment just to see if it would even play on screen. I interviewed some actor friends of mine who invariably ended up in the show. So it ended up, the, the experiment that I shot on video ended up being their audition tape. So I said, okay, Hi, hey Jason, can you do this interview for me? I'm just going to interview as an actor, but it's actually I'm going to frame it in editing that you're talking about being an assassin and killing people. So you're not talking about killing a performance; you're talking about killing for money. Okay. So uh, he was down, he was game, and I thought the result was really um, fascinating because at the time uh, his his son wasn't born yet, and he was just kind of building a fence to kind of make the backyard nicer for her son and whatever. And I just thought, oh, wow, this idea of this kind of the domestic kind of uh, uh, vibe clashing with, you know, being an assassin. Because we always associate assassins, especially in crime movies, as being very glamorous and very like, oh, I'm tough and cool and ooh, right? So uh, it-, it Very the, gritty and dark. So the idea of just taking, ooh, a housewife struggling with being an assassin and a housewife, or like the personal lives of being an assassin and being an assassin that was very full of yourself. So I was kind of using it as a metaphor for people that take themselves too seriously. I wanted to say things about fandom. I wanted to say things about maybe violence, uh, you know, being a nerd to violence, you know, a world that where you're just completely a nerd to violence. That's why whenever you see a normal person in the world, they're just, they're freaked out and you laugh because it's like, oh, you forget they're monsters because I, 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 the, the film kind of uh, lulls you into a sense of that this is a normal thing. And I, I, like I said, when I saw the experiment and how blase, uh, say, Jason was in the interview, I'm like, I think we have something here. So once I had each actor and I kind of told them what I had in mind, I said, hey, if you give me a handful of scenes, which ended up being more than a handful. Uh, not my fault, though, because once the actors did a scene, Another actor, like one scene would be so good that I wanted another scene from another actor to kind of match it or kind of build up to that level of quality. Uh, so 
you know, what happens is it's like I was writing as I was shooting slash editing. So the same thing that happens when you write a script, it was happening, but happening as the movie was happening, so to speak. So um, if I wanted to turn this way or that way, I just grab the actor and be like, hey, let's go this way instead of that way, or et cetera, or in mid shoot, like, oh, like for instance, uh, Kate who plays Jewel, who turns into Lady Faith, uh, my original actress for that day, uh, who was, because uh, in the scene, uh, Red Rick, he, uh, one of the assassins, he comes out to his girlfriend and that's, that was the kickstart of that storyline. And then mm-hmm. uh, it just fell flat when they broke up and said, oh, well, you're an assassin and I don't like that. So then I asked Kate, Kate, let's flip it. What if you like it? What if you're into it? And then that <laughs> became the trajectory for that story. Just, oh, she's into it. And then she becomes an apprentice to him. And then he she eclipses him. And it just become, it became this kind of uh, wonderful what if, what if, and, and, and building on that. So I knew that I wanted four stories to explore this huge universe that I was building because I, I knew I'm a big fan of, of people who can build universes like uh, like James Cameron and these people they can like build a big big world uh, and tell stories in it so I thought okay I have this concept of these assassins that have this subculture where they have fans and they're full of themselves and it's ridiculous uh, so I thought oh okay a housewife story a lover's story a, a father story you know, a sister story and just have them all. We, we follow them uh, in a kind of cinema verite documentary style and just have them all crash together at the very end. So, yeah, it, it was a very I had a superstructure, but it was also very free and open. And so it was just irresistible idea. I thought this is fun. I, I, I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, mm-hmm. It didn't intend to be 11 years. But you know, if that that's what it that's what it turned out to be because of availabilities, and we're all doing it out of our free time, you know, on Saturdays, that kind of thing. A few hours here, a few hours there. So, uh, but it worked out because the documentary style lent itself to the passage of time. So, yes, I was going to comment on that. I did write that down because I thought that was beautiful. Because when you go in and 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 you're looking at Kate, you know, and and, and their whole scene there, and how young she looks and you can see that she's matured and life has happened and things like that towards the end which perfectly lines up with her character and her character's own growth and experience and change there and so you're sitting there it the movie grew up with them so to speak Mm -hmm. yes and that is phenomenal that's one of the that like i was saying it's what makes this so beautiful is because it's like these small little things that i don't know that most people would notice it i'm just hyper focused on detail and I'm, I love I'm a creative mind so i i noticed these small things but um that is something that i thought was just phenomenal was seeing and it almost felt like in real time that you were taking this journey with them as they you know went through hardships and and all of that um and the balance between the humor and the drama like i didn't i I went into it and i was like okay it's a mockumentary so i went into it knowing you know watching other mockumentaries and this the title pages i felt monty python-ish i was sitting here like oh my gosh 
this is, I'm going to love this because it's like Monty Python and their title pages. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, that's so, my little, that's my little satirical dig at documentaries themselves too. Documentaries, I think, take themselves too seriously sometimes too. So that's mm -hmm. me poking fun. And, and that's totally meant for you. People that will look at the details like that and they're like, oh, that title card is sardonic, is super yeah. duper sarcastic. And it's like, yay, I'm glad you get that the title cards are sarcastic because they're supposed to be. And if you're paying yeah. attention, but, but you, again, the, the whole milieu of documentaries and how stilted, it's like, oh, it's supposed to be this proper thing. It's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's, the tongue is firmly planted in the cheek. It is silly, silly, silly. So. Yes. And like even the studio name had me cracking up whenever like it's like the studio name right there and then it goes to the title card i sat there i saw the studio name i was like oh my goodness i was like oh my goodness <laughs> and then they thought and i was like and i texted pup and i was like pup this is the best movie ever <laughs> this is so no. funny i know i'm gonna like it <laughs> i love it so thank you i i you i've been waiting 11 years to for someone to get that joke and forget the jokes so yeah because i you know as a filmmaker you're like okay people need to know from jump what they're in for so i figured mm -hmm. the first thing you see which is like the movie company or whatever it should be a joke too so yeah I, I'm so glad you picked up on that that's just yeah great. it was it was fantastic and but and that's the thing is like because like I went in there and I was like okay I got these I got the fake you know studio name I got you know the the title card I know the I know the vibe of this thing but oh my gosh are those guys, all of the actors and actresses, aren't they not just talented? Because I sat there and, you know, it would be like humorous one second and you're slipping, you're, you're, you flip into a different storyline. And then it's like in the throes of an argument with, mm -hmm. the, with the comedic relief of, you know, shooting a guy 50 times while yes. you're doing it, like Mr. Yes. and Miss Smith, you know? Yes. <laughs> Well, honestly, because I, I attribute that to first off, it's like I uh, the, these are uh, these are actors that I've kind of developed a relationship with doing my little short film. So it's just kind of like, OK, I have an inkling that this this is going to be my big, big canvas. This is a big feature canvas thing. So I took the best actors that I knew and that, you know, and they were tenacious. You have to be for this big, long production. Um, and. Yeah, I, it was irresistible because they're too, they're so good. And I, I attributed that to the, that they trusted me uh, and I, and I, there's theatrically trained. So they got the joke. Like once I kind of showed them a sample scene, like here's an ex the experiment. Like once I showed them the experimental uh, uh, interviews and said, you guys are talking about killing people, but in this weird kind of craftsman, like full of yourself way, uh, I think I, they got the joke. And what was thrilling as a filmmaker is each actor kind of does their own version of the joke. You know what I mean? So dry, super dry, super, uh, uh, super, super like so sardonic, satirical, like particularly like say Craig, uh, who plays uh, Bishop, like he's an actor I just kind of met along the way. We were like a couple years into production and I meet him. And that's the beauty of this project is it's so malleable. I, I just kept bringing him back, even though I killed him. Ah, just You're so fun. I love I love working with Craig. Just bring him back. He's back. Why not? You know? He's back. Well, and that's, you know, and that's the, that's the play into the soap opera thing. Like, oh, what's his face? Fell down 30, you know, 30 stories down the elevator shaft. And he's magically alive in the hospital bed, wrapped up like a mummy. And right. then he comes back three months later, like completely healed, not a scratch on his face. 
Yeah, and, <laughs> and I made sure people. just that's great. <laughs> and 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 just kind of making sure it's not at the expense of the dramatic story that is actually right. taking place. So yeah, right. it, it was it was just a fun juggling act, you know, because mm -hmm. the actors would surprise me. I you know when you write these things and you direct these things, it, it's 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 hard to get surprised. Because you're so I decided to do this a different philosophy, which is I really want to be surprised. So it and it's kind of a love letter to actors, this particular project, because I really wanted the to the actors to be in collusion with me and and help and help craft it a little bit. And so whatever they give me, I would surf with it. And then whenever they were kind of like, oh, I uh, maybe not sure, then I would have some ideas to, to, you know, and I'm in it too. Like I, I, as the camera person, I am in the universe too. So I could say things that could maybe kick stuff off and, you know, so that, right. that was which, actually a, a factor. Which is too. like the office like effect too, because like when yeah. you're sitting in that room or something and you're like, oh, da, da, and then they're just like, oh no. Okay. <laughs> you know? Um, and that like the way that you're explaining how you ran this project and how you handled the writing and the script writing for this. Because when I was researching, I looked up the writer. I was like, who's the writer of this? I assumed it was you. There was no, there was no writer credited. And then I was, I watched the movie and I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. A lot of it is improv. You guys all wrote it, mm -hmm. you know? And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sitting here like, that's even a beautiful thing in, in its own right, is, is mm -hmm. that everybody wrote a singular, you know, well, their own storyline to a singular point and a singular moment and met up in that time, which is awesome. Um, but, also some, but also sometimes like if they were stuck or whatever, I, or I would insert lines or each, each, each scene sometimes had a different onus or different burden to figure out. So what happens is sometimes I'd actually write a line, but let them kind of hit it however they want approach. Like, I don't care what you say, but eventually you say, take that sucker or whatever. Like they had to, you know, figure out right. what take that sucker meant and get to that and that was fun. it's like going to an improv show and putting in random things in a bucket and they have to work that into their routine like whose yeah. line then, is it anyway and then a lot of times too if it was violating a, a an arc or storyline i'd remind them like you can't do it you can't you can't change it that much or you know so there was mm -hmm. some but like i that was very liberating for the actors it's like if i i just basically went here are the bumper rails but you can play around and the results were fantastic because the they're they're yeah. talented. They're super talented. The, the thing is, is like every director I have ever talked to that has allowed the natural movement of a story being, you know, played with by the people that they hire and entrust to make the story, you know, come forth and, and be what it is, their movies have always been top notch because you sit there and and you feel the natural flow of it it doesn't seem abrupt there are no there are no spots where it seems like it's forced it's just it's beautifully uh, mellifluous shall mm -hmm. we say yeah um so kudos and i love talking to directors who do that because you guys are awesome and i think more people need to be like that <laughs> Well, it's it's like painting with fire. It's something that's alive. So uh, mm -hmm. that's it's a, actually it's a lesson I kind of took from Coppola because Coppola he constantly looks for those idiosyncratic accidents or you, you know uh, little 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 details like oh there there's you know there's Brando and let's just throw a cat just give him a cat give him some business yeah. you know or 
like or like like Kate when Kate was like practicing monologues, uh, her character Jewel practicing monologues. She had a little duck call thing. I'm like, all right, yeah, use that. She and she just ran with that little duck and she quacked and quacked. And I'm like, it works. Go for it. And it was a wonderful little kind of uh, piece of the uh, you know business she had with her. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's really cool. I like that you brought up with the with the Marlon Brando because I don't know how many people know about that. But for those that don't, when Marlon Brando was playing the Godfather, mm. they had a cat wander upset, you know, on the set, wandering around, and he just picked up the cat and started petting it. And then he sat down to do a scene and just kept petting the cat. And you know, Coppola just like, yeah, cool. That brings a certain essence to it. But it was just. It was Marlon being Marlon, you know, right. just doing, it was doing him. He, it, that was him in that moment. Yeah. Doing what like, he an wanted to do. Another good lesson is like another good directing lesson. If you, if, for those that want to get into directing, I love this story. So in Godfather, there is a, uh, uh, the character that plays Luca Brazzi, who's a hitman for the Godfather. He was legitimately nervous to act next to the great Marlon Brando. So his lines were stammering and stuttered and, so what did Coppola do? He shoots a previous scene uh, after the fact where he's practicing his lines. So you real th then that dovetails to him stammering and stuttering because that's why he's practicing Godfather. I, I, so it's like he's muttering to himself, like as if he's practicing his lines. And I just thought, what a brilliant, what, what a brilliant like way to tell a little teeny story in the big story, you know? Right, and it takes those, it takes those moments that like those real moments, yes. those genuine moments, mm -hmm. and it puts it in, which just make things like 10 times better. I mean, like who doesn't know Julia Roberts, Richard Gere, Pretty Woman, where right. he snaps the door and yeah. she just laughs. That's that was a legitimate, genuine thing that was not planned. Richard Gere did it just to, you know, tease her and yeah. scare her. And that laugh was so real, so brilliant and so it's genuine. Human. Yeah, it's, it's gold. Yeah. That stuff is gold. You want, see, that's why I don't, I love actors that stay in it. In fact, sometimes I'll just say that too. It's like, if something falls down, if a cat enters the frame, if, if, if the poster that they're, you know, falls down and that they have to catch it, whatever, I say, stay in it, stay in it, stay in it. Like, it, like, cause that happened. It really happened. Use it. You couldn't plan that. That's what's so wonderful about that lightning in a bottle kind of, you, you want actors that won't break and you, you, uh, a, a lesson I learned in film school as well is like, there's no harm in letting the camera roll like 10 more seconds before you call right. a cut. Like, like yeah, sometimes actors, they're waiting for you to call cut. Don't let them stay in it. Like what happens if reality kind of keeps going, you know, because <laughs> you, you, you might get some gold there. Right. Um, so kudos to you for doing that, because that's, I think, makes it fun. It makes it engaging. It makes it real and, and, and human. Um, it puts in that human emotion in it. Because, like, you can script things and, and rely on the actors to, to, to be that person that you've scripted. But to get them in their real emotion playing mm -hmm. that character is different. Yeah. So. Yeah, like, sometimes, because sometimes I'd read, for instance, when the scene where Redrick and Jewel, like, like they break up. I think one of them had a real breakup like really recently. I think almost maybe the day before. And I just, mm. and I, are you, okay? are you up for this? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. And so I was like, okay, I'm hoping to use it. 
And yeah. I think it's totally there. It's totally yeah. there. It breaks my it heart. It really is. It is. It is. It's a very real scene. You feel seen. You feel heard. You feel like they understand you in the moment that you either are living in now or you have been in before. Um, so that's that's awesome. Um, how did the idea originate? Like for okay. this, like, did you okay. just be like, "I'm gonna make a mockumentary"? <laughs> no, no. Well, a couple things. You, you you never know how something gets good to you. At least for, for in my case. And what happened was. I was consoling a buddy who just came out of an eight-year relationship. And so me and my wife, we're hanging out at the park, trying to cheer him up. And he he turns to me and says, hey, Ken, you know, I would love to be in one of your film projects where I'm just running after some bad guys and shooting at some bad guys, right? And uh, and that turned out to be Scorpio, uh, Dave, who plays Scorpio. And so, um, and for some reason, the, the the vision in my mind of seeing my buddy Dave running, shooting at bad guys, I saw it as handheld and verite and uh it just it just dawned on me i could maybe make us like a fun little project where we shoot in people's apartments and cars and relatively inexpensive i mean and um i uh and have it be improvised because like i love spinal tap and what we do in the shadows and i love that kind of texture so to speak and so uh once i realized like i could do a somewhat kind of four story clashing into crashing into each other at the end kind of thing uh that's that's where it kind of started then then that's when i subsequently started doing the experimental interviews and once i had the actors and i had gold with these actors right so okay so here's the thing you know i'm crazy uh let's what do you think of me do of us doing this and none of them wanted to give up with their tenacity they hated me there were times they hated me and wanted to kill me but you know, we soldiered on and, and we finished the show. So finally, I just said, hey, guys, OK, here we go. I think we have enough. Let's let's do the Coda T House Massacre. Let's do it. You know, so. And the ending reminded me of the Hateful Eight. Uh-huh. I just, <laughs> or Django Unchained, uh, sure. just, with, you know, with all of the way that it, it kind of wrapped up into being, because you're sitting there like, OK, now all of these personalities are meeting and. <laughs> You got really explosive personalities and yes. you know what's gonna happen mm-hmm. um and and so you you got you guys did that so well so well and i'm so excited that you put this baby out there into the world and you saw it through and that was a dream too it's like when else am i ever going to be camera i get to do have this much control and be camera be right. be an act and be a, a character in the universe and my wife is the poor boom girl you know, and yeah. so I, I, I just, the thought of quitting never happened, never happened. I just, it was just a matter of how and when, and I, here's what happened. The reason why, a big reason why it took so long is because I wanted to honor everybody's effort and just everyone kept turning in such wonderful performances that I wanted to conglomerate just the best of the best of the best and the best just kept getting better. So then I kept <laughs> wanting, so I just kept asking more until finally the actors just said, no. So I said, okay, <laughs> let's, let me let me write the Coda Tea House Massacre and and kind of make sure that all the motivations are there for me and and let it fall down the way I think it should and and sh- and shot that. So yeah, well that's great. So you said you're working on a couple of scripts right now. Mm-hmm. Can you mm-hmm. go into Always. them at all? Uh, I got a horror script. I got well, there's one uh, script 
that's kind of like clerks in space, I guess, is in my mind. It's kind of like an adventure of like oh, space awesome. truckers in space. And uh, the other idea is a horror movie about the end of the world. Now, that one's different. That's like my nod to like Terminator meets the thing, but about oh. a little girl kind of thing. Like a, right. a little girl is at the center of basically the apocalypse. So that's that's a. Uh, that's that's what's on my mind with that, that one. That is so. that's that's great. So like that's it kind of reminds me of like a grain of rice and how so much power can be held in such a small, tiny little speck of a thing. So I like yep. that. Yeah. I feel that way. And that's exactly what it is. And um so going off of what we've talked about and your scripts and stuff, what are some of your influential uh, people that you've looked up to in the movie industry um, and in the writing that we haven't mentioned because I know we did Tarantino we did Coppola we did all of that is there anybody else that we didn't mention that inspired you to be and do what you're doing uh but, you know it's funny I I'm uh, it, it like no <laughs> I think I, I think <laughs> I mentioned I think I mentioned them um you did Okay. Uh, uh, big fan of the Daniels. I think what they uh -huh. do is fantastic. And honestly, just they're definitely heroes of mine, for sure, for sure. Uh, so yeah, that's just, Luke Besson, big fan. Ridley Scott, big fan. I'm a big universe guy. So visions and universes. Uh, mm -hmm. So we didn't have a lot of money. So that's why I was like, okay, I figured the, the concept can be a, a, a big universe, you know, a subculture, mm -hmm. creating a subculture right. of sorts. So is there anything that you are outside of your two scripts you're coming out with, you're working on, you're? Um, no, we're just, do, we're in just, me and my co-producer wife, we're in just full on promotion mode. Uh, we're also uh, just, uh, you know, so just learning how to promote things on TikTok and Instagram and learning that new, there's a, cool. you know, the, the, on, on this level, just trying to get the word out there about our, um, you know, our streaming uh premiere july 21st and that's on and that's tubi. on tubi right and other platforms too tubi. but tubi but tubi is the one that i think is the one that people know most and like you can see we have a lot of little extras and kind of uh behind the scenes interviews with the actors talking about you know their their how they how they made the movie uh on uh, mental pictures productions on instagram so mental pictures productions on instagram uh and artistsinagony.com there's a lot of little videos and little extras Remember DVDs had those special features and little, yes. like, so there's a lot of stuff that didn't make the final show that I actually put um, on the artisanagony.com website. Uh, so, so yeah. So if you want to look oh, at cool. extra stuff, then you can check out our Instagram at mental pictures productions and also check out artistsinagony.com. So, Oh, and if awesome. you want to see some of my other work, I have music videos and other commercials that I've done in in the past on kennethlouie.com, L-U-I, kennethlouie.com. If you're a fan <laughs> of that stuff and you want to see some extra stuff, honestly, like uh, we've been putting a lot of the little special bonus features and kind of behind the scenes stuff on Instagram and on the website. But uh, yeah, check them both out. Mental Pictures Productions on Instagram and artisanagony.com. And where can people follow you on Instagram? uh me personally it's a you crazy personally. maker yeah a crazy maker at but like is it at i guess at, yeah at instagram yeah well it's at crazy at a crazy maker that's right all one word a crazy yes. maker yes 
Oh my gosh, you've been just a joy. I love talking with you, Kenneth. Thank you Thank so you, much Chira. for coming. Thank you. I've been waiting 11 years to have this conversation, so the pleasure is mine. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad that I could give that to you, and we could give it its its due talk and time. We we literally so made the movie for people like you who get it and see all the details and see all the little all the work we put into it. So I appreciate it. I really do. Yeah, and I'm gonna have to go back in there now and watch it again. So that way I can, you know, duck whistle and like all of these things. Um, so I can kind of peg out these other things that I might have missed. Um, and I might just have to reach out to you and be like, hey, Kenneth, <laughs> I noticed this. What's this about? <laughs> yeah, please do message me. Okay. I will totally answer all your questions. This has been fun. Oh, you're awesome. Yeah, you're great. And please tell your wife I said thank you for her work and her effort because it's a team and it's absolutely hard. yeah i could not and have finished, i could not have done it without her obviously yeah obviously so i want to give her her due credit to uh the boom mic girl uh and i will talk to you later you have a rest of your day you too have fun at the concert oh thank you take care bye bye this has been an odd imagination production here at odd imagination you'll find book film television, and product reviews, as well as roundtable discussions, current events, and hot topics. We are advocates for equality and the freedom to be who you are, no matter what. Odd Imagination gets its name from autism and imagination, two things that are very important to us. If you would like more information on Odd Imagination and the podcasts that we host on our website, you can visit autimagination.org a-u-t-i-m-a-g-i-n-a-t-i-o-n dot org.